Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast created by The Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. I'm Tara McBride, and I'm joined today by my colleague Kelly Mazine. Hi, Kelly. Morning. And we're going to discuss the life and social impact of fashion designer Diane von Furstenberg, which I imagine that a lot of people think, you know, what social impact could a person in the fashion industry have? But I personally am so enamored with Diane because I feel like not only does her her business model support women specifically, but I just think that her um, perspective and outlook on life is is pretty amazing. And just the time the time where she created these things and that she lived is really important. And she had a really important. Um, role to play in the 70s in particular. So I think that people are going to be kind of surprised by um, how influential Diane was in terms of the women's liberation movement and and other things. So do it. All right. Um, so, you know, we always uh, like to associate these uh, This Month in Women's History segments with um, the particular month that our podcast airs. So, you know, I kind of had to do a little bit of digging for Diane in August. It, it wasn't really that overt for me. But, you know, when I think about August, it's sort of the lead up to a really big moment in fashion every year, which is Fashion Week. Um, New York, Milan, London, and Paris are all either held or kick off in September. Um, The September issue of Vogue is always renowned for being this enormous publication that kind of sets the tone for fashion for the next 12 months. So August is a really great, like, lead into a really big moment in fashion. It's like the back to school for fashion. It is totally the back to school for fashion. (laughs) It's my favorite time to go shopping. (laughs) Um, But there is a significant um, event that uh, occurred for Diane von Furstenberg, which was in August 2010, which is shocking that that was nine years ago. Let's not think about that. Let's not dwell on that for very long. Um, So in August of 2010, Diane committed to giving away half of her fortune to the Giving Pledge. And for anybody who's not familiar with the Giving Pledge, this was an initiative set up by Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to encourage America's richest families to donate money to society's most serious problems. So Diane was in. She she is so committed, I feel, to the betterment of communities of the world. And she has definitely, we'll get into a little bit more of her, um, you know, career and philanthropy uh, later in the discussion. But she she has always been super committed to social issues and just kind of leaving the world better than than when she found it. So I'm I'm really excited that August is for Diane because she's a force. Um, so let's get into a little bit about her early life. And I do want to talk about her mother force. Um, so let's get into a little bit about her early life. And I do want to talk about her mother because she talks a lot about her mother in interviews and the influence that she had on her and her perspective on the world. So we'll talk a little bit about, you know, where she came from in that respect. Uh, so Diane von Furstenberg is a Belgian-American fashion designer, and she, um, if you don't know, is best known for her eponymous label and her iconic wrap dresses. I love her wrap dresses. They I are incredible. I still can't believe the wrap dress was only invented in the 70s. Yeah. Like, I, because, like, it said that they got, her influence was from kimonos and, um... Togas. And togas. So, like, yeah. just thinking back, I'm like, oh, like, that has to be from, like, the early 1900s or right. earlier, and it's like... Nope, that didn't come out to the seventies, which I thought that was. I didn't. I didn't believe that. I couldn't believe that because it's yeah. like wrap dresses. I feel like have 
been in fashion my entire life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just something I've always been accustomed to seeing. Yeah. Like, you just assume yeah. that, you know, in the 50s, they wore wrap dresses yeah. in the fine. And if they did exist, they weren't anything that was um, renowned yeah. the way. And she was just able to kind of capture lightning in a bottle, I think. Mm-hmm. It just, And we'll get into this also, yeah. but just the time period of when it launched. And it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was actually born Diane Simone Michelle Halfin to a Romanian father and Greek-born Jewish mother. Um, the reason that her mother is just such a huge force for her is that her mother was actually a Holocaust survivor. She um, was taken to Auschwitz when she was 22 and lived there for a long time um, and, you know, had had the experience that we all know happened at Auschwitz. Um, she actually survived the camps and left. And uh, Diane often talks about how her mother never spoke really negatively about the camps. Certainly it wasn't a good time for her life, but she always focused on the positive aspects about the camps, particularly the camaraderie that the people who were there gained with each other, um, which, you know, kind of lottery that the people who were there gained with each other, um, which, you know, kind of just speaks to her whole perspective on the world, that even in the most horrible circumstances. That's the worst circumstance you could probably ever be put into. Po- absolutely. And she still comes out of it with, I learn lessons, mm-hmm. I have, you she know. She was so positive. Yes. Yeah. Which is incredible. And of course she instilled that in mm-hmm. Diane. So her mother came out of the camps weighing only 49 pounds and um, she, she was essentially just a, a set of bones carrying skin mm-hmm. around. It was just unbelievable to think about how small that would be. And the doctors told her, you know, when she got married and and wanted to have children doctors told her that she would never be able to have children just because of the trauma that her body went mm-hmm. through and uh you know true to form 18 months later she had a baby <laughs> she <Yeah>. had diane <laughs> uh, so diane often talks about her mother giving birth to her as her victory or her revenge and i think that you said that she also calls it you know just to have her being the the living embodiment of you know her you know, go, looking at Germany and looking at what happened to her and just saying, no, you you didn't win. I won. You can't extinguish me. No. I love that. <laughs> so great. So Diane was brought up in Brussels in Belgium, um, and she attended Madrid University, later transferring to the University of Geneva in Switzerland. And it was there that she met her first husband, who, who was a prince, like a literal prince, <laughs> Prince Egon zu Furstenberg. Um, and he was German, the elder son of another prince and his first wife. Um, so Diane and the Prince Egon, they married in 1969, moved to New York, and um, they ended up having two children. Um, you know, they ended up divorcing, but it was an amicable divorce, and she talks mm-hmm. often about how um, it just didn't work out. She yeah. she ultimately had to make a choice between her career and her husband and rear and her husband, and she made a choice. Um, but she said they remained friends. and Because um, she kept his last name. She did, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think that just kind of speaks again to she she moves through life looking at, you know, what have I learned what can I do to make things better? Um, you know, they they got married for a reason. They fell in love. They had children, and she's you know she says that he gave me two beautiful children. I had a good life, but I had to make a choice, and and this is where I ended up. And they remained friends, which is incredible. Yeah, we could learn some lessons from that. <laughs> like you're no longer a princess. Well, that's okay because I'm going to build my own empire. So thank you very much. Yeah, I think I think she did okay. <laughs> she did all right. 
so she actually began designing clothing in 1970. Um, she divorced from Aegon in 1972. So she actually started her business while she was still married. Um, and so although she had no financial need to work, thanks to her marriage, um, she has been adamant. that um, She was actually quoted in the New York Times in 1977 as saying, the minute I knew I was about to be Aegon's wife, I decided to have a career. I wanted to be someone of my own and not just a plain little girl who got married beyond her desserts. Like just even talking about her marriage is so eloquent. I love the way that she talks. Um, so she actually um, started designing clothing and, you know, she started with these wrap tops with matching skirts mm-hmm. and she described those wrap tops as sort of like what the ballerinas wore and she called them cache cœur, which means um, covering your heart. So they actually, they're like two triangular pieces that wrap and then you tie. And uh, she saw Julie Nixon Eisenhower on television wearing her, her top and skirt and thought, wow, that would be great to put it together as you know one garment instead of two and so you know by 1970 you know, she she took that inspiration created the wrap dress and by 1975 she was making 15,000 dresses a week it's crazy so uh, three years after inventing the wrap dress mm-hmm. she's pumping out 15,000 dresses a week that's insane growth I don't even want to know what 15,000 times by 52 is yeah <laughs> it's a whole heck of a it's lot, a lot. <laughs> there's and a big it, demand and each of those dresses had two sleeves exactly <laughs> so even more 30,000 sleeves a week <laughs> um so she, she she's interviewed a lot right so mm-hmm. she was quoted in New York magazine in 1988 as saying I had a very down-to-earth product my wrap dress, which was really a uniform. It was just a simple little cotton jersey dress that everybody loved and everybody wore. That one dress sold about three or four million. I would see 20, 30 dresses walking down one block, all sorts of different women. It felt very good, young and old and fat and thin and poor and rich. And that, I just, I love that because, you know, she never speaks of the wrap dress as, um, you know, I had this epiphany and I knew exactly what I was doing. It's all very accidental what I was doing it's all very accidental um, you know everything that she says is like well you know nobody's wearing t-shirts at the time that kind of cotton jersey material that the first wrap dress was made out of um, she talked about Bridget Bardot showing up in a in a t-shirt and in some you know photos or something like that but she said before Bridget Bardot wore a t-shirt you know as a casual outfit it was always undershirts for men or sailors those were the only people who really wore t-shirts at the time so it was really unusual for somebody to take a fabric that was a t-shirt and turn it into something that was so classy and dressy and wearable um, so there are just a lot of these accidents that sort of happened to her um, that, that made this a success so then, you know, you talk about the political climate at the time, which really actually played a lot into the success of of the wrap dress. Um, at the time, you know, there was this huge movement for um, all of these women found the wrap dress, found its ease and its comfort and its simplicity as something that, you know, kind of embodied what they were going for, which is, you know, equality and Mm. simplicity and this is you know all we're asking for is you know to be treated as equals and the wrap dress gave them something that allowed them to just kind of throw it on look professional but look feminine and look powerful and so there was just something that diane did and she she often talks about how you know she was young she she wanted to wear what made her Mm. feel good and this was something that made her feel good and it just so happened that that's what 
It was her lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Women feel good in it. Yeah. Like she just captured something that, um, you know, embodied what women wanted to feel like, but also sort of just represented this like feminist movement where I want to look professional, but I also want to look like a woman. I should be allowed to look like a woman. And what I love about the wrap dress is that it, and she says it in her quote from New York Magazine that anybody can wear a wrap dress. But in her quote from New York Magazine that anybody can wear a wrap dress. Literally anybody who puts on a wrap dress looks phenomenal. And what I love about my wrap dresses when I wear them is that I can eat anything I want to and it still fits because I just loosen it up a little bit. It's great. Talk about simplicity. So. (laughs) But no, it's true. I mean, yeah, that's one of the best parts about wearing wrap dresses. For sure. But also too, just like they're versatile. Like you could like wear them all year round. It can truly change how they look just based off of changing your shoes and the accessories that you have. Yep. Yep. So Diane talks about, um, you know, it's wide reaching appeal, the wrap dress as being part of the reason that it became sort of a symbol of the women's liberation movement in the 70s and why she sort of became a a symbol of the the women's liberation movement. Um, She says the wrap dress was an interesting cultural phenomenon and one that has lasted, well, now it's 40 years. Um, and then she talks, she, as you mentioned, she uh, comes from traditional clothing like the toga or the kimono, kimono no buttons, no zipper. Um, what made my wrap dresses different is that they were made out of jersey and they sculpted the body. So again, it just kind of goes back to this idea that like it was simple, it was easy, no, no frills, no buttons, no nothing. I think the thing that was the most interesting part of the wrap dress was the prints. And she's, mm-hmm. she's talked about how she worked with these printers in Italy and um, you know, they were just doing these special things on silk and she, she got connected with them and, and begged them to help her out <laughs> when she was only making like 15 dresses at a time, 55 garments at a time. And they would say, you know, we're not a sample shop. We're a manufacturer. We need to manufacture. And she's like, please, please, please. I've got, this is something special. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And they stuck with her, thankfully. Um, so yeah, she's... I don't think they regret that. <laughs> no, I don't think they regret it at all. <laughs> um, so... For Diane, the the dress symbolized um, some pretty simple things. It was her independence. It was the the dress symbolized um, some pretty simple things. It was her independence. It was being able to pay her bills and not have to rely on her husband for anything. And really, she goes back to her mother um, for instilling these these yearnings for independence. Um, you know, in her life, you know, she she never wanted to rely on a father or a brother or a husband to get her through the world. She really wanted to be, she wanted to live the life that men were allowed to live at the time, but be a woman and mm-hmm. and to do it in a woman's body and to look feminine. And so this was, you know, this is why she, she thought it was so important, which is great. So looking back, Diane von Forsberg realizes that as she was becoming independent and confident and the woman that she wanted to be, she was actually able to share that with the women who were coming into her fitting rooms. Um, So she never actually thought that the dress would live into infamy as we've talked. It's sexy. It's not too expensive. Mm -hmm. It's proper enough and sexy enough. And that message really resonated with women. So she wasn't just like doing this for her or to make money, but she, she could see that she was having a real impact on the women that were coming into her. into her shops and and kind of making those connections with those women and helping them feel empowered and and sexy and confident just by putting on a simple dress and I think that that really propelled her to keep doing what she was doing 
So she was a prominent fixture in the uh, fashionable New York party scene of the late 70s. Um, and she she uh, has talked a lot about how she was lucky enough to be young enough to dance at Studio 54, um, or excuse me, old enough to dance at Studio 54 and young enough to be part of the digital revolution. Which not many designers, I feel like, can say that. They're either yeah. in one or the other. Right. Like, we're, I feel like... The 70s and 80s was that awkward time where, like, a lot of the big brand names that we now know were, like, just getting in, so, like, not too... I mean, I want to dance with Andy Warhol. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Pittsburgh for old Andy Warhol. But, yeah, Andy, Andy, if you go to the Andy Warhol Museum, which is in Pittsburgh, which is where FI360 is, is located, um, the Andy Warhol Museum has some really beautiful, um, iconic images. You know, he, he painted Marilyn Monroe, and he painted um, uh, Mick Jagger, and you can see Diane von Furstenberg hanging at the... I didn't realize museum. that until the interview, so now I feel like I need to go back to the museum. Oh, you gotta go. I, didn't, I guess, like, I saw her, but yeah. I didn't realize who she was. It was her, yeah, yeah. I love her because, you know what's what's wild, is you talk about how, like, there are very few designers who have been able to span such a, a wide um, shift in mm-hmm. culture, and Diane has been able to do that and do it with real, real grace and without really changing too much about what she's done for mm-hmm. fashion you know it's all kind of been pretty steady and kind of yeah. the same thing all along and it just kind of to me speaks to how class same thing all along and it just kind of to me speaks to how classy well I should she is classy but more like classic yes. the design is and that it can just transcend generations and you know I've watched interviews with her now um, just to pre- prepare for this uh, discussion that we're having and in one of them you know the it was at Stanford University and the interviewer said can everybody who's wearing a wrap dress stand up today and you know these are college mm-hmm. students that um, you know were you know in their 20s and you know late 2000s and and a bunch of them stood like a dozen yeah. women stood up with the wrap dress on that it just and that wrap dress could have been worn in 1974. That's the one thing, like, or with also, like, interviews I was doing that she was talking about how she kind of, like, re, not maybe, like, rebirthed the company in a way. Because, mm-hmm. like, there was a bit of difficulty in, like, the early 90s. Yes. But, like, it kind of came from, she was seeing all of these younger women going to vintage, vintage shops and rebuying her dresses. Yes. And then kind of that's how they got their new business model in place to then kind of, like, relaunch and be comfortable than they already were. Yep, absolutely. I, there's a vintage shop in Pittsburgh called Eons that always has a handful of Diane von Furstenberg wrap dresses, which is pretty incredible. So you can get you can get them at any price point. <laughs> um, so in 2005, the Council of Fashion Designers of America awarded. We're going to get in a little bit of like the achievements of uh, Diane von Furstenberg. They awarded her with a Lifetime Achievement Award, um, and the following year they named her as their president. Um, Diane also launched the the DVF Awards in 2010, um, which aims to recognize women whose leadership skills and vision have had a positive impact on the lives of other women around the world. Um, that particular award is. Supported by the Diller von Furstenberg Family Foundation, and each honoree receives a $50,000 award from the foundation to sustain and expand their extraordinary contributions. And I, I keep quoting her because there, I, I just don't think that I can do justice to when Diane speaks. I just think that she sounds so eloquent. So I'm going to quote her again. She says, "Women so eloquent." So I'm going to quote her again. She says, "Women never cease to impress and inspire me, and I am very happy to create these awards to honor and reward their leadership and dedication to the advancement of." women so this is just again it goes back to her everything that she's done and everything that her business is built on is about women's empowerment Mm -hmm. and I don't think that she did it on purpose I think she just built a brand for herself 
and, and what she wanted. And I think also in a way, like her, the influence of her mother, definitely. For sure. The idea that a woman in the 40s would, um, you know, that would she would do, first of all, she would survive the Holocaust and then come out on the other mm-hmm. end. And then, you know, people are telling her that she can't do things. And she says, well, okay. And I'm going to do them anyway. Mm-hmm. And then she has a daughter and she instills all of these values in her. I just, I, I love to see that that woman's fire flourish through Diane. Mm-hmm. And then having that spread to all the women who Diane von Furstenberg has touched is just, it's so exciting, um, you know, motivated and excited for all the things that Diane is going to do mm-hmm. and has done. It's just really exciting. Um, so we talked about how in 2010 she has com- she committed to um, giving away half of her fortune as part of the Giving Pledge. And in February 2011, she received the Award of Courage for her enduring efforts in combating AIDS by the internationally renowned charity AMFAR. In April 2011, she received the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis Medal for the Municipal Art Society, oh, excuse me, from the Municipal Art Society of New York in recognition of her outstanding contribution to the built environment of New York City. Um, and she was chosen for helping to redevelop the Meatpacking District. And if you know anything about New York and the Meatpacking District, a lot of fashion has landed there um, after its resurgence. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's no surprise that she was kind of on the, the forefront of helping to develop that area. And she also did a lot of work supporting the city's Highline Park, which is a public space built on an elevated derelict railway track. Um, so together with her husband, Barry Diller, um, she has donated $10 million towards that project. I mean, she, she's been committed to community and revitalization for as long as she's been in business, which is really exciting. And that's not even all the charities she's involved with, because she's also involved with the International Rescue Committee, since she was the daughter of two refugees. Um, she also helped... Uh, create The Shed, which is New York City's first multi-art center that they have, and then also Vital Voice, Vital Voices, and then she also um, helps with the United States Holocaust Museum. Yeah. I mean... Which, that's my favorite museum. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, how she has the time for all of this is a really big question, but I mean... She doesn't sleep. Yeah. Clearly, <laughs> she's one of those people that's like, I can operate on two hours of sleep. No problem. That's, that's not me. Um... <laughs> So let's get in a little bit more like later business and just kind of some of the things that she did through business that I think are pretty innovative. Um, So first of all, one of the things that she did was she was uh, the first designer to actually use uh, the technology to create a virtual dressing room. So she's she has embraced technology, which I think Mm -hmm. helps keep her relevant. Did you hear the story about how she got the Google Glass at the show? Um, I I did. But why don't you share it? So she was at a park and she saw the head developer of Google just walking around behind a tree with the Google Glass on. And she just went up and invited him to um, her fashion show because they were friends. And then he was in on a meeting and they were like, well, how do we get Google Glass like out into the world? And then they started talking and someone threw out like fashion. And he's like, oh, I have a friend who's a designer. And then that following. A friend who's a designer. designer, (laughs) Very casual as one does in Silicon Valley. And then just dropped Diane. And then next thing you know, Google Glass was at the show. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. See, and here's why I re- like one of the many reasons why I really love Diane von Furstenberg, the person. Um, she is so open to innovation, yeah. to ideas, to trying new things, which to me, as I mentioned, innovation, to ideas, to trying new things, which to me, as I mentioned, keeps her relevant, keeps mm-hmm. her at the forefront of things and has people saying, how do I catch up? Yep. You know, she's, and 
even though her fashions haven't really changed over 45 years now. Um, How she presents them has. Exactly, which is incredible. I, I just, I, I take so much inspiration from something like that. I, I think it's really amazing that, um, you know, she's she's been interested in innovation since the get-go and she continues to be curious, mm-hmm. which I think is such a huge, uh, it's a great quality to have. So one of the other things that I found really interesting about Diane is that she's she is very aggressive about protecting her intellectual property of the DF, DVF brand. Um, and she's actually helped to lead the charge for increased intellectual property protection in the fashion industry. If anybody uh, is a shopper, <laughs> then if you've ever heard of Zara, Forever 21, um, Ace companies have a tendency to bring, you know, higher end fashion to the masses, which, mm-hmm. okay, I get that. But there is a line, right? There and and they are repeat offenders for doing a direct ripoff of somebody's artistic work, um, and that doesn't sound like a super big deal. But what it what happens is that these practices that are um, implemented by these companies that do mass production are you know polluting the the earth. I think that the fashion industry is the second largest polluter in, in the world. Um, and fast fashion is the contributor to that. So that's one aspect of it. Uh, you know, um, employment practices aren't necessarily as fair or manufacturing practices aren't as fair as they would be at a larger fashion house. So while, yes, I like the idea of having more accessible fashion, there needs to be a smarter way of doing it. And directly ripping off a designer, a designer's work is not the way to do it. So Diane has been vigilant about protecting, protecting her intellectual property. And she's actually... Um, filed copyright infringement cases in the Southern District of New York against Forever 21, which is no small feat, Target brands. That breaks my heart. I don't, <laughs> Target. I and I Target. did I did see the pictures and they were almost identical and it was Target. it was pretty bad. Yeah. And Mango as well. Um, so uh, DVF accused all three companies of reproducing and selling dresses and or blouses that were nearly identical to copyrighted designs. And they went after them as they should, right? Like those are, that's your work, work yeah. and you should defend it. And I, I love that she's sort of leading the charge on that and saying, you know what, it's not okay for you to take the work mm-hmm. that we're doing and ripping it off. Like, like I, it's okay to be inspired. That's mm-hmm. completely different. But when you directly copy something. Like take exact pattern, fabric. Exactly. That's not going to fly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, Diane, she doesn't, she doesn't really know how to label herself. Um, you know, she calls herself an entrepreneur and a dreamer, but she says, and a dreamer, but she says, uh, she readily admits that she's not the best executive or CEO. Um, so, you know, her lesson that she takes from that is it's important to recognize your strengths and weaknesses, surround yourself with people that compliment you, um, you know, know what you can do well, know what other people can do better. Um, which I think is a really great lesson, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think that women oftentimes think that they have to be able to do it all and, um, you know, make no apologies for, um, you know, being with all these demands. Um, But I think that seeing a powerful woman who is, you know, relatively self-made, I wouldn't say she's totally self-made, right? Like her prince husband did introduce her to a few people that helped her uh, early in her career. And she has admitted that she's had privilege that others haven't. And But she did take what was given to her and create something much larger. Mm-hmm. Um, so to hear somebody like that, who is a powerful woman who created something on her own, admit that she doesn't, she can't do it all, I think is really important. So when she's asked what her best career advice is, she doesn't really have an answer because she never... She never feels like she's been given, quote unquote, career advice. And oftentimes along in her career, she was 
told that she can't or shouldn't uh, on, on something. Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't fly with, with old Diane. That's just not her thing. Um, but she does take major lessons from her mother who um, always told her that she should never be a victim um, and never blame anyone for anything, even if they are blamable. Um, you know, she feels that resentment is toxic and blame doesn't help. So this, you know, we've been talking about this this whole time about how her mother's perspective on the world clearly had a huge influence on Diane. And, uh, you know, that I think just sums it up. Like even when somebody's at fault, she says, all right, what do I need to do to fix this? Or where do I need to go from here to make this a better situation, which is great. Um, her mother definitely gave her the independence that she craves and continues to build on and we gave her the independence that she craves and continues to build on and one of the most um, one of my favorite quotes from Diane um, and I won't directly quote her is something that I've I've been living by in the last few years of my life and I'm for those of you who don't know, I'm going to do a shameless self-plug. I am a fashion blogger. And um, <laughs> and I've been writing about fashion for almost 10 years. And I was, I, I've always been really enamored with Diane von Furstenberg because she always just seems so cool and calm and, you know, loves the world. And when she's in interviews, she's very, she's just very calming. And I just really enjoy listening mm-hmm. to her speak. And over the last few years, I've personally come to the, the realization, I did a blog post about this, that when you have your priority list kind of laid out in front of you, what does it look like? And I think that a lot of times what happens, particularly with women who have children, but not only women who have children, that they put oftentimes, you know, a woman will say, well, you know, my children come first and then it's my husband. And then, you know, when somebody says, well, where do you come on that list? It's like, well, you know, I'm way down there somewhere. And I feel like that's, that's the backwards approach. Like I feel like if you're going to give to other people, you have to be full. And so you really should be the first person on your priority list. You should be your number one priority always, loving yourself so that you can give love to other people. And I love that when Diane is interviewed, she talks about how the most important relationship in life and in her life is the one you have with yourself. And she feels that way, not just for women, but for everybody. Um, You have to practice that and you have to work on your relationship with yourself just like you would with a significant other. Um, And she said it's like like pruning a tree. It always takes time and work Mm -hmm. and effort. Um, And she says, but once you have a strong relationship with yourself, then every other relationship you have is a plus, not a must. With yourself, then every other relationship you have is a plus, not a must. I love that. I mean, wouldn't you want to be full and then have like all this extra stuff that's really positive around you that just feels so, so smart and so right? And just natural and kind of organic because you're not worrying about everything else because you focus on yourself and you know they're these extra people like you can commit the time to them while still being 100% who you are and not faulting in any way yes yes I love it so she's great I love Mm -hmm. Diane you know she talks about how her overall mission in business and in life is to empower women Diane wants every woman to be who she wants to be and she does this through her work and through her philanthropy so I'm a big, big fan of Diane von Furstenberg. She's she's not your obvious feminist icon, mm-hmm. but dang, if she doesn't like she needs fit the mold. She Absolutely. Needs more like I had no idea really who she was until 
we did this podcast. Yeah. It's like wrap dress, Diana von Furstenberg, fashion designer, great. Yeah. She's she's really fantastic. So cheers to Diane von Furstenberg. I'm a big fan. Kelly's a big fan. I hope you all are big fans and you learned a little something about Diane's contribution to uh, women and women in the world and, and advancing us all um, to a better place. So get out there and get a wrap dress. <laughs> Put yourself first. Put yourself first. And get that dress. <laughs> Go get that dress. <laughs> So, Kelly, thank you for spending time with me today and talking about Diane von Furstenberg. Again, this is a little louder now by the Bridge Initiative. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring great women from financial services talking about a variety of topics. If you have questions, topic ideas, or if you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, email us at bridge at fi360.com. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.